I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a very jingly ball special. No, I let's wish not do I had that. What on earth? No, no, <laughs> oh, no, dear. no. Okay, fine. It's Signal. It's December. Thanks so much for joining us. We're going to get into it. Okay, hi, I'm James Poulter. Welcome to the Signal December issue. Pleasure to be with you. We made it through a full year of podcasts. Wow. I, it's I, been a whole year. I'm going to say that I'm not like entirely like sure when I started out doing this in January that 12 months later we would have achieved a uh, one-month cadence 12 months on, but we have. So <laughs> well welcome to us. episode uh, 12 and the, uh, the final episode of the year. I'm James Poulter, your host, and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful colleagues and co-presenters, Mr. Sam Hales. Hello, hello. And Ruth Jackson. <laughs> Hi. We've got a sleepy Sam we've, Hales. We've got this whole podcast point. thing nailed after it, haven't we? The, the flow between the three of us is... It's just so, so, so smooth. Um, thank you for joining us, and we do appreciate it. It is Christmas, you've got a lot of things going on, and we're going to hopefully have a nice festive time together. We've got some news, as always, coming up in the show. Later on, we'll be hearing from our good friend Paul Carenza on a little bit about the history of Christmas and how the media has played a part in that, and also hear a little bit about his new book around Christmas, which I'm sure will be filling stockings up and down the land uh, this holiday season. Sorry, I said holiday season, which sounds terribly American. Thanks to all of our American listeners, but um, (laughs) it's Christmas over here. Um, And we will also be digging into some of the better parts of our interviews throughout those past uh, 12 episodes, well, 11 episodes of the the show so far. You can judge whether this one is on point later on um, as we go into a kind of review of the year. And then we'll be doing the extended version of the playlist at the end of the show as we look back at things that we've listened to, read and uh, engaged with I suppose over the course of the past 12 months that have brought value to us and we think might bring value to you, your friends and family this Christmas season. So all of that more to come coming up in the show but first of all let's dig into some Christmassy news following this little Christmassy musical interlude. So news time and we have got some media news, some internet-y news and at some point or other I'm sure that Ruth will try and make me explain to her something about the internet (laughs) Um, before we sat down in the show today I was trying to explain to Ruth what Bitcoin was through the medium of talking about Oliver Twist which um, I'm not going to go into now it has to be seen to be believed the conversation these two were having earlier (laughs) I think think everyone should have everything explained by the medium of Victorian we discovered we discovered that Ruth's favourite I I never knew this I mean we've worked together for for a few years now I never knew your 
favourite genre of book is what was it Victorian, Victorian literature. literature why would it not be it's by <laughs> far the best genre Sam started I... off this afternoon by telling me that he started watching Homeland for the first time <laughs> <laughs> five year old season hey five year old is better than like 200 years old which is two where Ruth is stuck in the two past. of literally the most premier <laughs> two of the most premier you know kind of like literary and media culture critics up and down the country in the Christian world uh, sat with me and neither of them have consumed anything that's been published this year <laughs> So, um, if you would like a spin-off podcast where I just explain technology issues to, to Ruth yes, <laughs> through the medium of podcast, then let us know. You can get us on Twitter um, at the Media Net with hashtag Signal. But before we get into that, let's talk about some news, and we'll start off with the robot overthrow of the media industry that Sam is quite worried about. I am. Tell I am generally quite concerned because this isn't just some sort of silly story. This is the Press Gazette reporting the following first robot written stories from press association make it into print in world first for journalism industry uh, this was posted just a few days ago actually saying that uh, pa press association have uh, well they were given a grant some time ago by google's digital news initiative and they've now began to put out stories on pa that is computer generated with some of the data that they're using this is actually happening this isn't something that's going to happen in the future it's happening already and it's very interesting how PA have done it of course they haven't said we are going to do this in the future they're saying we have done it Mm. so actually you and I may have read a story already that had significant robot input into it and um we should we should of course be careful and point out that there are still human beings working on these stories we haven't gone the whole way into robots but actually computer generated content is now making its way into press releases absolutely i mean we've heard about this thing coming up a couple of times in the past with things like sports results and financial news i've seen this kind of happening but this is now kind of going more into kind of mainstream news articles i've got a couple of examples here that they um has referenced in in the release and um, this is a story from uh, the bournemouth daily echo uh, headlined most babies are born to married parents in Bournemouth figures reveal and it's a very short little kind of blurb here um, about mums um, it's the, the opening line is married mums still make up the majority of women giving birth in Bournemouth but only just uh, it goes on to kind of cite some various different kind of stats and I, I wonder if these are going to be predominantly statistically driven stories mm. just because they are obviously kind of you know it's just reporting of facts that can be kind of news aggregated by a, uh, an AI uh, um, the same story here running for example on the Bath Chronicle as well um, but automatically doing things quite cleverly like pulling in some stock imagery adding captions now, I don't know if all of these have been entirely um, you know kind of generated by the algorithm but it's a bit of a scary thing isn't it this idea that you can kind of have these things completely auto generated do you, do you fear for your job Sam having read this not immediately <laughs> not immediately uh, we need to you know not go overboard here at the same time I get it. The easy stories perhaps to write at the moment are the data-driven ones. So that's the kind of low-hanging fruit they've gone for. You know, you like to assume that if you work in the creative world and creative industries that your job is safer than those who don't work in those kind of industries. But this would suggest that may not be the case. I mean, actually, when, you, when it comes to crafting a news story, there is the, you know, the whole inverse pyramid thing. There is there is the structure you get taught of this is exactly how you craft it, the most important stuff at the top and the least important at the bottom. And actually, you probably can teach a, a robot or a computer to a certain extent how to work that out and what information is most important. So um, it wouldn't it doesn't surprise me to see this in, in some senses. And I think we'll see more and more of this going on. Ultimately, of course, I'm going to argue that Hmm. you need a real-life human journalist working on stories and uh, computers won't cut it for everything. I think as well, what most people want is not just the facts and the figures and the news stories. They want commentary on it and they want, well, what does that mean for me in my context? So Hmm. with that story about the babies in Bournemouth, most people will probably be thinking... 
oh, but I wonder what that means for me. I wonder what implication that has on my family. And therefore, actually, it's probably the comment pieces that are of more interest. Yeah. And actually, it's the kind of top line of the stat and then a descriptive comment about what it means to Absolutely. you and actually a robot can't do that i think the, the, what's quite interesting with this obviously like i pulled out that example it's actually the same story there that's running in both the bath um edition and then the bournemouth edition so my assumption is that what they're doing is scraping some master data set and then creating you know kind of like local regional versions mm. of that and just doing the same story but insert data you know kind of like it's like a terrible mail merge basically yeah. <laughs> you know kind of insert data set here um with the right fact for that office which you know kind of that's makes quite a helpful thing it, then isn't it really exactly. and that then frees up the bath journalist and the bournemouth journalist to then think about what does that look like for Bournemouth as a whole? Because they will have a greater understanding of the Bournemouth context. Yeah, and I think in all of these things, you know, you listen to kind of people worrying about, you know, kind of the robot overlords kind of overtaking us. I think <laughs> I'm much more confident when it comes to these things that we will find places where they're useful and live alongside them rather than mm. kind of being completely overtaken. But, you know, you do worry, particularly when you've got, you know, talking to um, earlier today about uh, this new um, software solution that we've come across for those of you working in this kind of area you'd probably be interested in uh, called Descript, which is uh, created by the founder of, uh, uh, Groupon originally the the big kind of startup um, in the kind of couponing space and he's created this audio app that will allow you to transcribe audio and then basically edit it like it's a word document and then will reverse engineer the audio editing but in the long term that would mean that you could shift around copy and text and then reorder the audio so that you could basically make anybody say anything which obviously has really interesting ethical <laughs> implications and the same thing with this is that actually you know how much we rely upon AI to actually um, reverse engineer what was originally a bunch of facts and figures and then put it back into a new context. You know, we worry we've, one of the themes of the year of anything we've spoken a lot about is this idea of fake news. Mm. Um, you know, that it's, it's come up almost every month with whoever we've, we've had in the studio to chat and, and in various different ways but this has a really interesting implication there that if you ha start having robots writing stuff maybe it gets a less fake um, if, if they're the right algorithms and trained the right way but they're also you know with a little bit of manipulation mm. these things could be generating stories and populating the web with all sorts of things which is exactly what we've seen in terms of like the russian hacking of the u.s elections and stuff like that where these algorithms don't necessarily act in a benign fashion if they are programmed by someone that has a nefarious reason to do so so mm. pretty interesting uh, and, and scary stuff i wonder though where this applies um and sam you've done an awful lot of things like feature interviews this year and obviously you craft the questions that you ask people mm. in a very kind of uh, specific way and spend a lot of time reading their books i know that by the stack that's on your desk at all times <laughs> um but you know you must see this a lot you know you guys have like lazy journalism where it's the same five questions that are asked to every candidate you know how yeah. long will it be before a robot you know how long is it before that we can have alexa do feature interviews with the same basic 10 questions wow yeah and that's a challenge isn't it to those of us who are who have the i was thinking about this the other day the privilege of interviewing people mm. actually if you are a journalist you do often have access to people who other people would, would almost kill for access to that person and i think we need to take that seriously take that responsibility seriously than, than sometimes i know i have done this year and think well actually if, if i got the chance to sit down with this person i may i may not be a massive fan of them but some the audiences you know someone mm. out there really wants to hear what this person has to say am i going to ask questions they've already been asked a million times. Mm. And the number of times where you do feel like you get some good content, it's because you've spent the time actually digging in and not asking what everyone else has asked before. I mean, do we really need to ask this musician, so tell me about your new album? You know, can we can we dig in a bit deeper behind that sometimes? Mm. Um, Who are your influences? That's a great one. Yeah. There are, 
and sometimes <laughs> it does depend on the context you know and if you've got a short radio interview then then sometimes because of the constraints and because maybe the audience doesn't know who they are you do have to ask the standard stuff um, and actually there are questions that do work really well for everyone so in my context if you ask someone how did you become a Christian the chances are you often get a brilliant story out of that that's a very easy question to ask um, so there are some there are some easy wins in that sense but I just think yeah let's dig in deeper let's ask some really really hard questions I was saying as well to someone recently that I find often the, the best questions to ask somebody are the really obvious ones. Um, and sometimes asking the really obvious question yields fantastic results. Um, but it's, this will sound contradictory, but it's not always obvious to ask the obvious question. Give us an example then, Sam. What's like what's the obvious question that's not so obvious? So there's a great guy called Glenn Scrivener who's an evangelist and he came in recently for a long one-hour profile interview with me. And so, you know, the typical questions that you would think, oh, you should ask an evangelist are some of the practicalities of, well, is it personal evangelism? Should we do the big stadium events? Um, what kind of style of preaching works? How can you encourage the church to evangelize? They're all obvious questions. But actually, there's an even more obvious question than that, which I almost didn't ask but I'm so pleased I did. And that was, well, here's the thing, Glenn, you're an evangelist. Can you share the gospel with me in two minutes? Mm. And he then delivered this incredible piece of poetry, actually in 90 seconds. And um, we clipped up and put it out on social media and it's currently got about 350,000 views and it's done really well. And that's a good example, I think, of a really obvious question. If you've got an evangelist, ask them, how do you share the gospel? That's an obvious question, but it's actually one that I was very close to not asking and isn't one that obviously comes to mind if that makes sense. Interesting. So I wonder if we'll have to see the algorithms pick that on that, you know, kind of that subject. Do they do they ask the obvious questions or yeah. do they try and be too clever? Uh, yeah. We'll have to see. Well, very interesting. If you're worried about, you know, kind of your job being taken by a robot, <laughs> then uh you know, we thought that the media industry was safe. Apparently not. So keep an eye on the robots in twenty eighteen. I'm sure that'll be something. Steal your Bitcoin. Steal your Bitcoin. Not that the Victorian under- thing called Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all right because Ruth won't understand whether or not it's happened. So it'll be fine. <laughs> um, thinking of things that are happening in 2018, um, I think that one of the things we're going to see is uh, a lot more uh, hard work being needed by the big social media platforms mm. uh, to kind of keep people coming back. I think a theme of the year has been for me, and obviously working in kind of the technology industry and and what I do, um, which you know has has really kind of tried with is the amount of people that are pulling away from these big platforms mm. and the, the the work that those things are going to have to do to kind of get people to come back i think no more have we seen this in all of the places than in twitter mm. uh even with the innovations that they have worked on like doubling the character limit uh starting to introduce you know different ways of engaging with hashtags and explore with moments and live and all of these different things that over the past couple of years they've really pushed for but yet still seem to not be able to get people past the first hurdle of signing up and trying something new. Brings me back to also a story, though, that's happening this week, which Twitter is launching a new advertising campaign. This is being uh, reported all over the place. And if you go Google the words, let's go Twitter uh, on YouTube, you'll be able to find the, the video. Two things I'm interested in this story. One is that basically the whole advertising campaign, they're doing you know TV and online video advertising to basically encourage people to go sign up for Twitter, which in and of itself I think is just fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I particularly love this is one of my favourite comedians of the year as well, Ramesh Ranganathan, um, is the, uh, the in the ad basically embodying the voice of Twitter and explaining to people uh, why they don't understand and how to basically go through the whole onboarding process in this 90 second ad which is just amazing I'll play a clip of it quickly for you guys now so you can hear what this sounds like but here's here's Ramesh Ranganathan uh, embodying what it is like to sign up for Twitter Kevin I'm here to help don't worry it's just Twitter 
How do I even get started? Just press the button and pick a name. Come on, Kevin. Let's go Twitter. My name's not Kevin. It's Kenny. Kenny G. Hold on, your name is Kenny G. Oh, the name's already taken. Yeah, I'm less surprised than you are. I should just quit. How about Notorious Kenny G? There you go. Uh, he goes on to follow things like the Cookie Monster, uh, amongst <laughs> others. Uh, just really interesting, I think, that they are starting out what is essentially going to be starting the year in 2018 with this big push of get people to actually sign up for Twitter in the first place. They've obviously had problems with capping this out. We've talked about it a lot on the show. As the year has gone on, have you guys found yourselves engaging more or less with platforms like Twitter? See, I think the whole social media thing is really interesting. Obviously, I work with a lot of young people and social media kind of was a big thing. And it feels like a lot of them are doing a bit of a digital detox. And whether that's sort of just a phase, I guess, is one question. The other question that's quite a key thing is that I think particularly young people, but I would say probably everyone, doesn't like brands kind of marketing themselves at you so i think something like instagram still feels very personal because it's people individual people's photos and of course there are brands and things like that but that still feels more personal because it's someone has taken that photo and someone has said something personal about it whereas i think twitter and to a certain extent facebook as well often feels like it's just the marketing person pushing their agenda and i think young people in particular know exactly what they're doing and don't like that so a lot of the young people i know have recently and actually the youth workers incidentally have come off twitter and are just doing everything on instagram yeah absolutely i mean even for example snapchat just did a major Mm. redesign the past couple of weeks to separate out you know kind of brands and celebrities from the stuff that your friends are producing so it's definitely chiming with that sam what about you well i think i think from a media perspective um twitter is just so useful personally i love it but I think the number of stories I come across that mm. I see on Twitter before I see anywhere else, the number of ideas I get for features, and just it's even a good way of building contacts with people, building a rapport with people who you can't see in the flesh you can still keep in touch with. So on a professional level and a personal level, I, I love Twitter. At the same time, there is that thing of switching off and digital detox and Sabbath and the idea of, you know, is a good application of, as a Christian, believing that it's good to rest, is a good application actually switching off all social media or even all technology. Um, and I've been challenged by thinking on that um, that I've talked about before. People like John Mark Comer has written some, some really helpful stuff on, on switching off from tech. So those two things seem to be happening at once. And I'm actually quite excited in a way that Twitter are advertising. I think they're doing exactly the right thing, advertising on TV yeah. to people who aren't signed up already. I think they could... They could see some um, some large numbers join through you that. See a lot of granddads. Yeah, why not bring it on? But I think the other thing though is that it is a place where a lot of journalists and media types and political types hang out, and there is a massive echo effect going on. I mean, in my view, to a certain extent, regardless of who you follow, there is often a more liberal feel to Twitter. I just think there is, and people say, "Oh, you're following the wrong people," and I disagree. I actually think if you look at the voices on there, the voices most heavily engaged, I think it does lean to the left. And I think if you're spending, like me, spending a huge amount of time on Twitter, you need to be very aware of that. And actually, I'm very aware. You know, I work for Premier Christianity magazine, and the vast majority of our audience, in terms of people reading the print magazine, the vast majority are not on Twitter. And I think as journalists, people working in the media, we need to be very aware of you know Twitter or any other social media platform does not represent the rest of the country. And again, you see it with things like Brexit. You see it with things like Trump. Very easy to get stuck in an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. So that's my caution. But generally speaking, I love Twitter, and I hope the I hope the campaign successful. Well, I think more people should be engaged. Hopefully, as more and more people get engaged and we learn how to deal with this medium, it will become less of a toxic environment. Because again, mm-hmm. it can be can be incredibly mm-hmm. destructive in the way that people use it. 
Um, and again, it's a challenge for us as Christians to use it in a helpful way. Absolutely. I think that's one of the big themes of the year is this kind of divergence between the the media sector in terms of their engagement with platforms like Twitter and then the you know kind of consumer section that's moved entirely the other direction. But the influence that those two have in between one another is that the pop culture constantly being driven by the kind of masses and you know look at the amount of advertising campaigns that we've seen this year that have been done in portrait format you know rather than mm. landscape because they recognize that you know youth and millennial culture has started to engage with all video content in a nine by 16 not a 16 by nine aspect ratio is quite mm. fascinating but the the inverse of that is exactly what you're describing sam is that that bubble that what goes on in Twitter becomes the news so much that the Twitter is the news. And that's been a really fascinating cycle. So I think in 2018, as we look forward, we, we think about whether or not that will increase. I'd love to kind of get people's opinions on that and see what you guys think. Let us know, uh, get in touch with the show. Yeah, I mean, my plea on that from a media perspective is, is as journalists, can we please stop running those stories where people are outraged because of xyz when all that's happened is you found two people on twitter who are a bit <laughs> upset i mean i'm not i know that sounds like a joke i'm not even joking like there have been a number of stories like that recently i think even some of the greg's sausage roll stuff <laughs> if you remember that around yeah. christmas when greg's replaced jesus with a sausage roll again a lot of that coverage it honestly looked like a journalist from whatever publication i won't name names <laughs> had been on twitter found a couple of christians who were upset and then turned it into a whole story and i think that's not that's not legitimate news gathering as far as i'm concerned no. Um, I just don't think that's good enough. You know, we, we don't let Vox Pops... A robot Pops... could do that. <laughs> <laughs> and robots are doing it as well. Yeah. We don't let Vox Pops dictate an entire news story, do we? I mean, it's just a different it's a different medium, it's a different form. And I think you've got to equate, for me, people talking on Twitter and Vox Pops, it's the same kind of level. It's a rough man on the streets kind yeah. of point of view. It's not a news story. No, unless it's snowed across half of Britain, in which case Vox Pops is a story and that's just the way it has to run. <laughs> well, 2018 has got some really interesting things to come, whether it's the robots taking over the way that stories are written or whether it's robots taking over Twitter in the way that they're shared we've got a lot to look forward to and one of the opportunities you're going to have is to come and engage with that discussion with our very own Sam Hales in the chair talking at uh, what does the media look like in 2018 it's an event that we're running here in London in January on the 30th of January uh, Tuesday the 30th from 6 o'clock in the evening being held at the Tanner Warehouse in Bermondsey Street in central London where there'll be various people who you've heard on the show throughout the year Sam I mentioned also will be joined by Toby Olajimi from from uh, WTalk Network and also uh, will be hosted and, and chaired by the wonderful Tim Plimming as well who you've heard on the show this year as well so if you are interested in that you can get tickets over on Eventbrite search for The Media Net on Eventbrite and you can go and get tickets for what does the media look like in 2018 or follow us on Twitter for more information at the media net. Okay, uh, wanted to track us back a little bit to earlier in uh, the summertime when we had a dear friend of mine, uh, a longtime collaborator, but also just a fascinating man, uh, Terry Storch. He joined us on the September issue. Terry is the head of the Digerati ministry at Life Church uh, and has also been the fa- one of the founders of the Bible app, which many of you know as as version. They just crossed... Uh, 300 million uh, downloads uh, this past week um, I was in most of those were James weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I've done it on a few devices over the years <laughs> I must admit um, which is just amazing seeing massive growth in all sorts of different uh, countries around the world including India and the Philippines and mm. other parts of the Far East where they are literally putting the Bible across borders where that can't be done and as a technology as a platform as a way of working they're just in really interesting people and we uh, had Terry on the show back in the September issue uh, of the show where you can hear a little bit more from him here's a little clip of Terry when he joined us uh, to talk about the growth of the Bible app 
there must have been a tipping point moment for you along the way where you went from going like this is something we're trying and obviously that opening weekend that 87,000 or so of that first weekend must have been a a kind of you know that rang some alarm bells but what was the point when you felt like you'd gone from a stage of doing something that felt like it was in beta it was very early days to suddenly like oh we we have something here like this is a this is going to be part of like our legacy for the church because it is it's yeah something that's globally shifted the way in which people engage with the bible on a day-to-day basis so you know that will be part of your legacy and the team's legacy when did that begin to sink in or or has it yet yeah (laughs) We know that 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 God is is ultimately the reason that this exists, and so there there is a there is a humble posture that comes with it. So even answering that question um, of a legacy is is hard because it makes me feel like, and it makes the team feel like this is ours and that we did it, um, which which is just hard for me to even see it that way. Is that we what we talk about is. Um, um, and what God has blessed through all of this is that we don't take it t- we don't we don't take it lightly. We steward that well, and we tr- we try and make all of the appropriate decisions. We try and we try and resource it well. We try and and in all these product decisions, none of those are ever taken lightly. I mean, we we are really processing what's the right thing, so we don't take this lightly. Um, but we also, at that same time, have the term is that we don't take it, uh, we, we, we don't hold it tightly. And so we're very open-handed is that the YouVersion Bible app would not exist today without amazing coalition of partners. Um, if we did not have the right partners with the Bible translations that come alongside and believe in getting God's word out, we wouldn't exist. Um, if we didn't have the 1,600 partners with the reading plans and that growing, um, we wouldn't exist either. And so we, we, we don't hold that tightly. And so we don't believe it's ours. Um, so there's absolutely truth that the legacy is going to live on and all of those things. But my prayer through all of that is that that legacy is through every partner, every Bible society, everyone that's been been a part of seeing this, is that it's a collective celebration of it's God's word. Um, and we're just stewarding, we're just stewarding the actual app that sits on your phone. And we also recognize, and we don't have time for this, is that it's an app today, but we're also not locked in to, to we are all about people engaging in God's word. God's Word right now um, is accessible on a mobile device, and that's what we see. But that methodology, we're not locked into. And so we have no earthly idea in five years, ten years, and all of that, that it's going to be an app on your phone um, is the primary way. And so if that's what it is today, down the road that could change. And we want to be agile enough to respond to whatever that is. Terry Storch there, like I said, find out more and listen to the whole interview and our chat with him back on the September edition of the show. Earlier in the year, we also spoke with uh, an amazing author, Jo Swinney, about her new book this year, Home, talking all about the idea of belonging and career and how living abroad had changed her perspective, having grown up in Portugal and then moving to the UK and moving her family around the UK and switching careers. And we just, I really enjoyed this interview. It was such a great chance to hear from Jo. Uh, she is just an amazing uh, human. She's just so warm and loving and just a great person to be around. It just comes through, I think, when you hear her talk about this book. And I would thoroughly recommend it to you if you've got people to hand it out to over Christmas. Uh, definitely go and get a copy of Home. This is a little clip from when I spoke to Jo Swinney, author of Home, earlier this year. Well, I think that you're right. We can't, we can't make... Are often people can't make their work their primary place of home because it is less 
stable and predictable. Mm. I, I do still think, though, that it's right to invest in your in your work, whether it's your workplace or your work colleagues or the actual kind of sweat of your brow. <laughs> I think what I what I was hoping to convey and explore in the book is that the sense of home is built up with a lot of facets. Mm. Um, I wanted to introduce the idea of workers' home because I think it is it is a big one, and sometimes I don't think people realise that it is until until it's lost. So when people retire or go on maternity leave or um, lose a job or get posts I don't know when when the job changes sometimes what the impact of that is is this deep it hits this deep home thing for us we suddenly feel we don't know where our place is yeah. where we belong in the world Joe Sweeney there you know Joe quite well don't you I do. Uh, her sister was my best friend at school. Amazing. And you've been to Portugal with her family and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and France. So they, they moved, Russia moved, it started in Portugal and moved to France. So we spent a lot of time in their outdoor pool, which was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Were you part of the Russia thing? Or have you kind of been around their projects and stuff? Yeah, been around some of their stuff. Yeah, they had quite a lot of projects in the place where we were staying in, um, in France. In fact, we were babysitting the kids of, they had kind of all of their the people from around the world come to their place in France for, I guess it was an annual conference or something. I was about 14. I didn't really understand what was going on. But we were looking after their children and they all seemed lovely. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are lovely and Joe's lovely as well. So mm. if you want to check out the book, like I mentioned, you, and you just want to hear a little bit more from her, track back to the July episode of Signal. We interviewed Joe there and her book this year, Home. Definitely worth checking out. And the final clip I wanted to play you is uh, something that's some new audio, but from an old friend, Paul Carenza. He joined us this year at the Media conference to host and chair did a fabulous job of that there where we were all uh, you know really just delighted by his comparing and he's also written a great new book this year all about the history of Christmas and I caught up with him earlier in the year and we also had a little chat about the book uh, so this is a little fresh bit of audio here from uh, Mr Paul Carenza about the kind of history of Christmas and a little bit of fun around that so I hope you enjoy this this is new stuff from Paul and after that we'll be back to talk about our wish list slash best bits of the year when it comes to things that we've heard listened to and bought as well so coming up here's Paul Carenza where did the maybe you can tell us about where did the original kind of interpretation that we kind of know today of Christmas kind of begin like the when did Santa start being a part of the story and you know kind yeah. of how's that changed well I mean as, as a lot of people often say the Victorian times, uh, you know, the whole 19th century really saw this big transformation in Christmas. Really, you know, Cromwell famously outlawed Christmas over here and then the Puritans went to America and then they kept outlawing Christmas. And uh, and also, you know, this whole thing about happy holidays in America yeah. actually really comes from the fact that the American Revolution meant that the British version of Christmas didn't quite travel over there. So Father Christmas didn't make it. The Dutch settlers brought uh, Sinterklaas and Nicholas and that became the Santa over there. So Santa made it, Father Christmas kind of sank with the Boston Tea Party. So we don't really need to blame like Walmart and all of these kind of big companies for making the happy holidays thing so kind of cringeworthy to the, the kind of well, British sensibility. I don't think so, really. I mean, we don't like it when it comes back over here again. Mm. But certainly in America, really, by the time Christmas was coming back into, into favour again over there, Thanksgiving was actually already a thing. And Christmas as a festival hadn't quite made it. Because at that point as well, whether over here or over there, the church hadn't really quite decided whether or not it wants to celebrate Christmas or not. Mm. Because some people in the church would think well, it should be a celebration day, but just kept very, very holy. Yeah. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Other people were saying, oh, it is a, it's a feast day. Some people say it's a fast day. So, you know, even that whole Cromwell banning Christmas from the, in the sort of 1600s, the idea of, well, should we be fasting? Should we be feasting? We, and no one yeah. could quite agree, really, until Victorian times and Dickens and all these other people come along back and reinvent it. And right. by that point in America, you've got the, the sort of the Santa Claus twist the night before Christmas coming in. So suddenly yeah, there's a culture around it. So this idea of kind of plenty and it being a time of you know, kind of being weighed down by copious amounts of dry mm. meats and things like that. Yeah, you know, kind of that's yeah. just something that we've kind of taken as a modern interpretation. Yeah, well, we've really, you know, if you look back at the really the English kings, you know, King John's feast of 1213 was was absolutely, you know, epic, really, on a, yeah. on a grand scale. And so these medieval kings all trying to outdo each other and, you know, giving what, you know, king, European kings giving each other elephants as presents and things like that and holding these massive, massive feast days. That was at the royal level. Yeah. And then, of course, the paupers were there getting the scraps. Literally, William I would give away the scraps to the, uh, to the poor afterwards wow. and they'd all be standing outside the palace waiting for them. So then, of course, it became a bit more modern. And nowadays, it's a little bit more reined in. Mm. But there's always been that sense of if you can afford it, you feast. Yeah. You know? But then, obviously, the church look at that and go, well, that doesn't quite feel like what a humble nativity scene. It's the opposite, complete opposite, really. Yeah, exactly. And you've got people to thank, like uh, St. Francis of Assisi, Staged the first live nativity, showing you know having the animals there, and also wanting to really connect with locals. He also was the one of the first to write Christmas carols in local languages, not not Latin, you know, because he wanted to show people this is about a humble birth amongst a poor family. You know, mm. it's not about these rich kings having big meals. It's about you. It's about farming people. Absolutely. And so this year, the, you know, um, there'll be a number of campaigns that many people may have already started to see popping up. Uh, the, the Church of England pushing their hashtag God with us campaign, which is all about the advent, all about the nativity and coming back to that kind of idea. You know, there is, a, you know, one, there's the one time of the year where it's kind of okay to talk about maybe being a Christian. It's mm. okay to maybe say, oh, have you tuned into the sermon on the radio you know, on yeah. Christmas Day or watch the Queen's speech and she'll often have a very, mm. you know, kind of very uh, faithful filled um, discussion yeah, has that always been the case in terms of the way the media is interpreted like where did this kind of idea of the Christmas Day sermon and things like that kind of popularise yeah well in fact if you go back to the uh, really the start of, of broadcasting 
1922 Christmas Eve, uh, the brand new BBC were actually, their, their first original British radio drama was The Truth About Father Christmas, the right. Christmas thing. So not religious Christmas, okay. but they were going, right, Christmas is a good time for us to be you know, actually launching some yeah. new ideas of what it can be to broadcast drama and things like that. Um, and then that Christmas as well, you had the first uh, religious broadcast, really, in this country, which is Reverend John Mayo, no relation. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and he gave this message quite, uh, you know, proudly, really, saying that surely no man has ever proclaimed the gospel from such an extraordinary pulpit as I am now doing. Just realising that suddenly he was having an audience of thousands, mm-hmm. which, of course, back then, you, no one had ever broadcast to thousands because you could, just couldn't be heard more than a few hundred people back. So, <laughs> so suddenly there's that really personal connection. Yeah. And then when you did the first royal Christmas message from King George V, it's about 10 years later, and from, even from 1922 onwards, when they were doing those first broadcasts, King George V was asked, can you do a royal Christmas message? And he turned it down for 10 years really? until he was given a free BBC, free BBC radio and a tour of the studios, of course. and then eventually did it. And then suddenly you have that personal connection. You're in the living room, you can hear this personal message, which we still now get from the Queen and so yeah. on. So, so we've got Lord Rees to thank for the whole thing, really. It's about Rees, yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> Keeps coming back around. What's, uh, what does your Christmas look like? What, what will you be doing over this uh, this cupping couple of weeks? Well, actually, I get it's one of my busiest times of year work-wise. I do this Comedians and Carol show around the country, mostly in churches, but they're lovely because people bring friends along. We all get a bit Christmassy and festive. So by the time I get to Christmas, I'm, I'm full festive, Christmas jumpers, a uh, bit of pogues on in the background, all that sort of stuff. So... I love it. I'm a big fan. I'm a, I, I go crazy for all of that sort of stuff. But I always like a mix of everything. I like the churchy Christmas. I like the Chris Dingle on Christmas Eve, which we'll do with the family. But I also like, you know, I've got to have a bit of Chris Rear on the car <laughs> stereo for my last gig of the year when I'm literally driving home for Christmas. I was going to say, where will you be driving home from this year? Do you have any sense of where that's going to be? Uh, yeah, my last gig of the year. Normally is actually is Kettering Arts Centre. They often round off. They just they book us just before Christmas. Okay. That's always a nice tradition to head back from Kettering to Surrey for that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Paul, for joining us back again to talk a little bit more about Christmas. And if you haven't had a chance to read the book yet, want to know more, it's Hark. The biography of Christmas by Paul Carenza. You can still go get copies. We hope out there for if they've not all gone into other people's stockings by this point. So, uh, Paul, thanks a lot for talking to us about. Thank Christmas. you. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Yes. Okay. Well, that was Paul Carenza. Thanks so much to Paul for his contributions this year to the Media Net. Hope you enjoyed that as well. So, we are now going to go into the playlist, and here is a little jingle for the playlist. I didn't realise I just teed that up as if like I'd made a jingle for the playlist, but I'm not that professional of an audio ah, engineer. Ah. So actually, that was just a little bit of a kind of jingly Christmassy music <laughs> leading us into this. But it kind of puts you, hopefully, into the festive feel. So we've got stockings to fill. There's a few days left of Christmas shopping to be had. And we thought we'd try and help you through that with some kind of media recommendations and related goods uh, that we've consumed this year. And rather than kind of putting it in that more consumery attitude, what I really wanted to ask you guys is things that have really brought you joy or value this year things that you've read listened to and bought so i'm going to ask you both to recommend a couple of things so let's start off with books i know go to sam uh, with books sam's read about five thousand books this year. <laughs> sam reads more books than i think anyone that i know i mean he averages around about a book a week i'm gonna say I'm, on, on yeah. yeah at this kind of point right? that's that's been the plan so i set myself a target at the beginning of the year to read 50 books in 2017 and i'm pretty much there so wow. i'm it's, uh, How yeah. many books of the well Bible done. are included in that number? None, actually. Yeah. <laughs> my, uh, my, my devotions don't count, basically, is the principle. So these are... These are... No, I've not read the Bible. <laughs> don't be ridiculous, James. 
I have read the Bible, but I haven't counted them as books that I've read. Anyway, um, I probably won't be aiming for 50 in, 20, in 2018, but in 2017, I did read 50 books, and of the 50, the one that I really want to recommend is called When Breath Becomes Air, and it's the story of a neuro um, neurosurgeon who develops um, lung cancer and actually dies at a very young age, I think in his 30s. So really tragic. But the book is him reflecting on life and death in the final months of his life. And he has a a young family. It's just incredibly moving. It's not not perhaps as depressing as I might be making it sound. In, In many ways, it's a very uplifting book. Um, and there are some elements where he talks very briefly towards the end about his Christian faith. He kind of rediscovers that in, in later life. I won't say any more on that. And actually, I don't want to say too much more about the book because it's one of those books where I think anything I say won't really do it justice. So, yes, yeah, so of all the 50 books that I've read this year, the one I recommend the most is When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. Excellent. Well, if you want to check that out, Sam's recommendation will be up on the MediaNet website in a full article where we'll be putting all of these things that we're listing. So you can go check that out, medianet.org. Okay, switching gears slightly to something slightly more holy because, you know, Sam's just not read the Bible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <Ever. no. laughs> but Ruth, you want to recommend a Bible? I do. It's not, not the Bible. Yeah. It's, it's, but it is the Bible. It is sort of a Bible, yeah. <laughs> so um, I was trying to think of a book that came out this year and I'm sure there are lots of great books that came out this year that I did read. But something that's actually celebrating its 10th anniversary this year, which is why it's come back on my radar and I interviewed the author and she was one of the most inspiring people I've ever met and I interviewed Zac Efron so you know that's saying something wow. <laughs> is he even relevant anymore just pick up that name you dropped yeah. he's honestly the best looking person I've ever met in the flesh but anyway that's by the by um, and most look- inspiring you mean Zac Efron of you know like High School Musical and Baywatch <laughs> I do Zac Efron <laughs> carry on thanks Zac the book is <laughs> <laughs> don't really know where I can go from that. The author's called Sally Lloyd-Jones and her best-selling um, book is called The Jesus Storybook Bible and the tagline for that is Every Story Whispers His Name, talking about Jesus. And she tells a lot of the stories. It's not got every single story of the Bible because it's it's for children and so it's, you know, it can't be too big. Um, but she tells a lot of the Old Testament stories looking forward to Jesus. So, for instance, I was showing you earlier, James, the story of the Tower of Babel, which you sort of think, what on earth has that got to do with Jesus? And right at the end of it, she says, we tried to get to heaven but actually we can't get to heaven so heaven had to come down to us and it came down to us in the person of Jesus and it's things like that where it just shows children in particular but actually it's incredibly popular with adults where Jesus is written into every story of the Bible and it's it's beautiful and it's um, it's illustrated by a guy called Jago and he's a beautiful designer so it's just it's a really beautiful thing to read as well and they've actually done uh, video versions of the book using Jago's designs and David Suchet aka Aslan is reading the stories so <laughs> everything good and Christian read allowed should be read by David Suchet exactly. sorry that the podcast can't be done that way okay so remind us the, the name and the title the Jesus Storybook Bible the Jesus Storybook Bible 10th anniversary this year you can go check that out uh, where all good books are sold and again will be on our list uh, and my recommendation I had a really tough time with this I, much like Sam I've not been as ambitious but what <laughs> I have tried to do is read a book a month rather than a book a week so I'll That's maybe try and upgrade good. myself uh, in 2018 set myself some new um, you, know, you know targets there um, I was really 
really struggling actually on which one to pick but i think what i'm going to go with is a, a book that is maybe slightly uh, off the beaten track for many of our listeners but i totally recommend it's by a guy called dave asprey now if you're not sure who dave is he um touts himself in particularly in the u.s as this guy called the bulletproof executive basically he came out of startup world made a lot of money um, and basically started a lot of this biohacking movement that's now doing a lot of um you know interesting things over in the u.s where people are trying to really work hard at, with nutrition with fitness with um you know life hacks all these different ways of making kind of life more improved uh, he's done all sorts of really weird things from like having his stem cells washed and re-injected into various parts of his body uh, <laughs> through to trying out all sorts of different uh, you know kind of micronutrients and chemical pills that he's taken to kind of vamp his brain but he's most famous for something called bulletproof coffee which I was trying to explain to Ruth earlier about how that this is something that she probably <laughs> shouldn't try the common theme of you just trying to explain things to Ruth well I think the reason that I was worried about Ruth taking bulletproof coffee is that if you've spent any time with Ruth you know that she doesn't really need any more energy than she already has and, and bulletproof coffee is for those of us who don't have the metabolism of a seven year old and so therefore <laughs> Um, uh, you know, it could do with a little bit of a vamp, uh, a.k.a. me. So Bulletproof Coffee has uh, you know, had a bit of a sensation. It's kind of one of those fad things that actually I found actually kind of works and it's had a lot of value to my life this year, which is, I won't go into the full details of it, but it's basically using something called MCT brain oil, which is uh, something that the Bulletproof Company d- derive from coconut oil mixed with grass-fed butter and it has to be grass-fed cow butter because of the way that the nutrients from grass gets transferred into the butter and coffee and you blend it like a latte you would do in a blender but basically that drink should be able to get you through the morning without making you feel hungry because the butter satiates you and gives you the good fats and goes to your brain which helps power the mitochondria in your brain and generally improves your overall kind of attention it's actually working really well for me when I've been doing it from time to time but also starting putting just regular coconut oil in your coffee can kind of help in the morning uh, which has become you know one of those fad things again of the year but I find it really useful anyway the bulletproof coffee thing Ruth doesn't need any of it she's got the energy I've got coconut oil at home I'm totally going to go and try uh, that uh, uh, as exhibited right now definitely doesn't need that but um, if you need I a bit I do of... I'm sleepy today <laughs> but Sam and I might do the book um, that I want to recommend is uh, Dave's book this year called Headstrong um, which is the bulletproof plan and basically puts into practice a lot of this stuff into a two week kind of regime mm. that you can kind of go and try and the reason it's brought me a lot of value I suppose is that a lot of the, the little life hacks things like putting your workout clothes next to your bed in the morning so that you don't walk past them so that you feel compelled to go to oh, the gym good. which I thought was great waking up one hour early and going to bed one hour earlier so that actually the first thing in the morning you feel like compelled to go and exercise or do something great and we've already mentioned throughout the year things like the meditation and mindfulness stuff that he practices uh, alongside kind of Christian meditation I find just has been really powerful mm-hmm. so um, the book is called Headstrong by Dave Asprey and also you can find a lot more about him if you go search the Bulletproof Executive so that's my that's good for January isn't it very good for January for those of you that want to kind of kickstart the too year too much Christmas hard. pudding absolutely uh, yeah I've had too much of that already and it's not even December 25th wow so early days yeah I know it was mostly delivered to me in the form of some Christmas pudding chocolates that were given to nice. me today which had real rum in so wow. let's see how that works I thought you were feeling a bit happy today <laughs> It's all the bulletproof coffee. It's not nothing to do with the rum. Okay, uh, so that's book recommendations. And coming up after this little interlude, we're going to talk about things that we have listened to and watched that have hopefully been published or released sometime in the recent <laughs> history rather than Victorian, Victorian literature <laughs> or... You know, I love Homeland, but it's been out for a while. <laughs> See you after this. How is Christmas dinner different post-Brexit? No Brussels. 
Okay, and we're back with some recommendations. Things you've watched, listened to. What has brought you guys value this year? Ruth, I'll go to you first. What's the What's the thing that you've listened to or watched this year that you've kind of really, it has really stuck with you, brought you some joy, brought you some value? I am going to pick Peaky Blinders because obviously the first series didn't come out this year. Or the second. Or the second. But the or, third series did. Four. So. <laughs> Okay, good. Or oh, maybe it's the me, third. I, I can't remember. But I loved the first and second and maybe third, depending on how many there's been. Uh, so I was very excited when it all came out because it's just got such a star-studded cast yeah. and their accents may leave slightly more to be desired than than something else. <laughs> but what they, accent would you like them to have? Well, it's Birmingham accents. Okay. And some of them are a little bit dodgy, but then they do have sort of Irish gypsy background so it's not just a straight Birmingham accent, but one of the girls in my band is from Birmingham and she can't watch it because the accents are so bad. Okay, so Peaky Blinders. I've Peaky Blinders. got to say, I've avoided watching that it's all the so way through. It's so good. And so many people tell me it's amazing, so maybe that's one of the things that I'll It really is good. It, I tried to watch it with my mum because she loves sort of period drama stuff and it's set in the 40s to start with. So I thought she'd enjoy it, but it's, it's quite violent. They have... The Peaky Blinders have uh, razor blades in their flat caps and they that's how they attack people. Ouch. So Wow. Yeah. You're gonna feel that in the morning, aren't you? It's so I feel like it Ouch. gets a bit less violent, but my mum was just a bit like, oh Okay, so, good. So, so unless you're Ruth's mum, we recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make a try again at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Things you've watched or listened to, Sam, this year that's brought you some value. So I'm gonna go with a podcast and um it's called The Signal. No, not really. Um <laughs> Available on all good podcasting apps you are listening to. So I am a bit of a cynic, and I think perhaps I'm not the only journalist who suffers from a bit of cynicism and being a bit of a negative, too, you know, focusing on too many negative things sometimes, partly because some of the stories you're handling, but partly just because my personality, I can tend towards the negative too much. And so I discovered what sounds like a really, what I, because I'm a cynic and I'm because I'm negative, what will to me sound a bit sort of cheesy and American and weird, but actually <laughs> has been really good. Again, apologies to all of our American listeners. Thank you so much. I love Amer- I genuinely week. love America. You know, I go there a huge amount. I love Americans, so it's, it's no disrespect to them. But I, but again, it's a it's a positive thing that I find Americans in general are often more upbeat, mm. and British people can be a bit more cynical. All that said, it's because it's cold here. Yeah, it is flipping miserly. freezing here. Yeah. <laughs> All that said, this podcast is called Only the Good Stuff. And the whole premise is a guy sits down with, it tends to be Christians actually, although it's not a very Christian podcast in many ways, and simply asks them, what are the things that are bringing you joy this this week or this month or recently? What are the things that you're enjoying? And get some just fantastic answers. And I'd encourage you to listen to it. You may not recognise a lot of the names that he's interviewing, because again, um, if you're if you're not American, they're kind of more well known out there. Um, but just dive straight in. If you want to start somewhere, I'd recommend the interview with Aaron Keys, who is a worship leader that some people may be familiar with. And on the strength of this interview, I actually thought, you know what? I need to meet this guy. <laughs> it was such a good interview. And I'm going to contradict the advice I gave earlier about you know coming up with new questions. I actually stole a couple of questions from this podcast because Aaron gave such amazing answers to it that when I sat down with Aaron Keys, I, I asked the same questions to get the same answers because I thought actually not many people have heard this podcast and it was just so, so good. So yeah, just something a bit lighter, something to just you know relax to and you know anything from sort of coffee to having dinner with friends people just chat about things that are bringing them joy and i, I find that really uplifting wait you booked Aaron keys off the back of that interview yeah 
Yeah. Um, yeah, because I thought actually, you know, he's a, he's a well-known worship leader. And so obviously here at Premier, we, they're the kind of people we want to talk to. I've long been inspired and by your songwriting. And Christian Shazam. I've so. been long, in, long inspired <laughs> by his songwriting anyway. Quick plug, if you want to hear that interview, it will be on the Profile podcast early next year. And one more plug for the show this year. <laughs> Sam got it in. <laughs> no, it is great. And if you haven't listened actually to any of those things, I, would, I, I don't think it's fair for me to put Sam's podcast as my recommendation for things for you to listen to. But I will recommend going and listening to his chat with uh, John Mark Comer on the profile interview. It was very, very good and uh, a very uh, you know, worthwhile thing to go and uh, consume. Um, if I had the option of putting another book in, I would definitely put in uh, God Has a Name as mm. one of the books that uh, John Mark Comer wrote this year as uh, being a, a fantastic uh, consum- you know, just kind of uh, juicy way of kind of looking at the idea of who kind of God is as, as a person. So uh, put that on your list. So um, I, I've been really struggling with the thing that what I want to say of like I've consumed, watched or elsewise because I've just spent you know, so much time basically binge watching various things on Netflix this year. Yeah, and then um, having a go at us for not being up to date. No, exactly. But that's I find it's I'm here to kind of you know make sure that, that someone is telling you guys who are listening about what's actually happening in the world, like you know, in the past you know six to five years. Uh, so, I've been trying to stay on top of it. Um, so I think my recommendation has got to be a, a different podcast. Actually, I think we're, you know we're in the podcasting field. You're listening to a podcast. You probably like podcasts. Uh, and this is from a really interesting guy called Kevin Rose. Some of you might have heard of Kevin Rose before. He was the founder of Dig originally, the website, uh, went on to found various other startup businesses, a venture capital uh, kind of guy, and has a show uh, called The Kevin Rose Show. Uh, it's all about him. And he talks to interesting people uh, every week, and or at least every couple of times a month. And it's just had so many different interesting characters of people that I just never heard from talking about. And this is something that probably we should go listen to. Everything from things like Bitcoin, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure a lot of you reading uh, the news recently, if you're paying attention, you, you, it's hard to have avoided hearing about things like Bitcoin. Um, you know, that is one of those kind of big topics that people have been unpacking. I found that actually uh, Kevin's show has been massively helpful for me in unpacking some of these kind of bigger topics. Um, he's also done episodes on stoic philosophy. Uh, he's talked with things like the, the head of Google Ventures, who are the big venture capital arm over at Google, uh, on growth hacking, on you know how to build media empires, and lots of people working in the media industry as well. So I really recommend that. Um, yeah, he's yeah everyone from Elon Musk through to Tim Urban, really kind of wide range of writers and, and, uh, and innovators. Uh, so if you are into a little bit of life hacking, a little bit of you know media culture, or just want to kind of hear the, the, the basics of actually how does some of these big technology things work that are going on in the world uh, Kevin's a great person to, to dig into and so it's just the Kevin Rose show um, over on any good podcasting app wherever you found us and while you're in your podcasting app you can do us a massive favour as we come towards the end of the year we would love to get a surge of new reviews and subscribers in through the door so if you are listening to us right now on the podcast app on your iPhone or Android tablet or wherever you're listening to just go hit a, a star rating in there preferably five I'd like five. Maybe give me hmm. five stars in your advent, you know, kind of calendar today or in your know, Christmas stocking. We'd like that. And leave us a review. Really helps with getting the show up the charts and more people finding out about it. After this little interlude, we will come back. I'm going to come back and ask the guys after this what they've spent money on this year for up to about £100 that has brought them the most value. Let's see if Ruth can think of something that wasn't chocolate. Come on. Let's come back in a minute. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, we're back so 
this is a question that I picked up from another great book that I read this year uh, called Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss. Tim is uh, famous for the four hour work week and then the four hour chef and various other books since that point. His new book, uh, Tribe of Mentors, he spoke to over 100 really interesting people and asked them basically the same set of questions coming back to our hmm. point earlier that you can get some interesting content of asking the most basic questions to the same people. But one of the questions that he had in his long list that he asked to all sorts of people uh, was, what is the one thing you bought this year under a hundred dollars i'll give you guys pounds for it being safe that brought you the most value so what's the thing you bought this year that under 100 pounds that brought you the most value so this is like a, a reverse version of like a christmas gift guide basically so are we going to go around the table and just kind of share our answers I, i'd be fascinated to hear what you guys spent money on uh which we often don't talk about we're always going to find the freebies and the cheap things at christmas but no the, what do you spend money on that brought you value and i'll let you decide value however you however you like <laughs> So Ruth, what did you spend money on this year? <laughs> it wasn't chocolate, but you could put it you could put it in chocolate to make it better. Um I I did a gig at a chili festival in the summer and uh I was very excited because I flipping love chili and everything had chili in it. So I, I think found like you spoke to us about this in the summer that we I did clarify did. that it's not chili as in like chili con carne in no, a pot. But chili as in the plant. Chilies as in hot things. Yeah, hot hot peppers. Yeah. And so I bought a chili punt. Chili plant. That chili would be pants. a bad idea. <laughs> I bought a chili plant for five quid, and it is exceptional. I have used chilies in <laughs> literally everything I've cooked. Since. How many chilies have you got since the summer? Oh, it's been never ending. I'm, I'm, it's you've got I, a never ending number of chilies. I kill everything that's green, so it's obviously dying now. Well, not to but wear green in the office. Before it died, I chopped off loads of the chilies and put them in the freezer to okay. save them. Freeze your chilies. Yeah. That's also a good tip. There's a great tip, and you can freeze any herbs and things like ginger. Is that herb? I don't know. Whatever. And spice, I think. If yeah. you freeze it and then you just put it under hot water and it immediately defreezes when you and then you chop it up. Okay. You're welcome. A chili plant. Just okay. Call me Jamie. Uh, where would you recommend that people go and get their chili plants from? A chili festival. <laughs> <laughs> what was the chili festival that you went to? It's just called the chili festival, I think. Um, I think garden centres have chili plants. <laughs> I don't know. You could go on the thing called the internet. And that might have them. I don't know. Is that the sort of thing that you were talking about Amazon Prime being one of the best things you've bought? Amazon Prime might sell chili plants. I don't know. Okay, so if you're listening to the show and you'd like to get yourself some kind of chili plant, Ruth recommends the internet or a garden centre or just wait another six months until the chili festival. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, well, the three options. The only three options. I couldn't even tell you where the chili festival was. Excellent. <laughs> As always, first-rate journalism uh, coming to you <laughs> directly from Ruth. Um, thanks, Ruth. Uh, chili plot. Okay, um, I'll go back around the table and uh, I'll give you my recommendation of the thing that I spent money on. So I've been weighing this up, and I think I, what I really wanted to put on the list was my Nintendo Switch because it actually brought me a lot of value. But that's way over hundred pounds. So I'm going to go like slightly meta on this one and say that the the thing that I probably got the most value out of as just pure entertainment like you know escapism didn't have to think about what, what was going on at work or on the tube every morning when i was getting on the train to come into the office was the legend of zelda for uh sorry legend of zelda breath of the wild 
for the Nintendo Switch. Um, an amazing game, an absolutely amazing game. And I know that a lot of people kind of look down on kind of games as Sam is currently doing at me because how, he's been so could you so erudite and yeah, has consumed 50 books. Uh, no. Whereas I probably put twice as many hours as his reading into <laughs> playing Legend of Zelda. But the reason I put this I'm out just there, jealous, James. That's the honest truth. <laughs> the reason I put Zelda in there as one of my top picks of the year is one is that it's an amazing testament to what Nintendo have managed to do as a comeback as an overall technology company. They've turned around, actually sold more units in this less than a year so in the past six to maybe seven months of the nintendo switch console than they sold of the wii u at the same time sorry the wii in the same time period which was like the best selling console ever um but also this game has been downloaded by something like 75 percent of all people that have bought a nintendo switch which as a success for any game is just amazing and the reason i think it's so clever is the the you know the expansive nature of it and something delivered on a handheld it brought me just so much value because i was like playing a console level game and any of you play games like I'm sure that you know actually over 50% of people listening to this show will play video games that's just like the national stat so those of you that are playing video games you will know that when you get a console level game that you can literally hold in your hands and zone out on the train and not have to worry about people and just consume that it's just an amazing thing and the storytelling the the um, design the artwork is just the most amazing thing so if you've not got Nintendo Switch or you, and if you do and you haven't played Zelda which is going to be quite hard um, definitely go get one I'm going to go update my Christmas list take off all the books and put on uh, a Nintendo what is a Nintendo Switch? oh dear okay we haven't got time for that so <laughs> <laughs> is it like a Game Boy? <laughs> we need this spin-off podcast where James just explains things to Ruth I'm telling you I, I think this is a good show if you would like to hear that show then just let us know. I'd like that show okay good um, yes it is a bit like a Game Boy, Ruth. Good <laughs> mid '90s reference. Excellent. Just bang on the tip of culture. So, <laughs> wow. uh, so that's my recommendation, uh, Mr. Sam Hales. What has brought you value for less than hundred pounds well, this I, year? When I'm thinking about value, less than hundred pounds, I'm thinking, what am I using a huge amount? And you know, hundred pounds in the grand scheme of things isn't a huge amount of money. It's certainly less than my mortgage. Let's put it that way. And um, so, right, what have I? What have I used as much as my house? This. <laughs> Uh, my flat what have I used more than living in my flat this year Your for less than 100 cards. quid oyster card no well no definitely I've, not near no, definitely not oyster not. card definitely less than no quid. I think I think something I've worn I've probably worn these this item of clothing more than I've spent time in my house for sure would be my please Le- don't say pants would be my <laughs> Levi's pants my Levi's jeans you know pants would be the American term and okay. I did buy them in America so why not my Levi's pants no let's, let's use the English I can't do it sorry I can't Everyone's do it to myself now just looking we at have it. to use the English uh, Levi's jeans you know it's worth spending a bit extra money for, for the brand because they're actually really really good jeans it's worth buying them in America because they are cheaper over there Go and um, it's worth buying black ones because they look like smart trousers you can get away with it in any setting Okay, well there you are, Levi jeans. You've heard it first. It's boring, really, isn't it? Compared to your two, I do apologise. I, I thought your two recommendations were a lot more interesting, but I tried my best. Okay, well, just yeah, if you're outgoing and buying your chili plant this Christmas, and you need something to look debonair but also be able to look casual at the right time. Uh, a pair of 501s will see you well. Yeah, will and they... make sure you've got a, uh, a Game Boy. That was your recommendation. Yeah, a Game Boy. <laughs> Whilst holding 100%. a Game Boy. Wait, Excellent. will they bring back twisted Levi's? That's what was that? the question. What? Well, that is our recommendations, and that is our show, and that's our year. Merry wow. Christmas! Merry 12 Christmas! Twelve episodes later, twelve months of Signal, and you've joined us at uh, twelve days of Signal. My true love gave to me. 
What's yeah. your question? You know when you're at school and as time goes on and you get nearer towards the breakup of term and people start watching videos and everyone becomes more, Home and more alone. silly. <laughs> I feel like that's this episode. We've all just got you're a welcome, bit guys. more nuts as time has gone. Also, genuine question. Has anyone else found in their office and their workplace environment that as you get close to Christmas, people do just... I'm wearing a Christmas jumper. Oh, just we're to be fully clear. in silly season. Yeah, this yeah, yeah, which is exactly. great. I'm not complaining. It's just yeah. amusing to watch that as every day, almost every hour ticks by. We're all, and I think this podcast is a great, great example of <laughs> this episode as being something else, James. Well, as we've gone down into the silly season of the show, thank you so much for joining us on this episode, this Christmassy, festive, and joy-filled episode of Signal. Thank you so much for joining us all year. We'll be back in January with yet another start of another amazing year of media news and going behind the stories of faith and journalism. I've been James Poulter. Ruth has been... Ruth Jackson. <laughs> and Sam has been... Sam Hales. Christian Sam. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and we will see you bright and breezy back in January with the first episode of the year of Signal. Stay tuned to your podcast apps and we'll see you in 2018. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.